I don't know if this guy is a runner, but some people do run with their strollers as well. Yeah, and that's what I was going to mention too is, yeah, if you're picking up the pace a little bit, even if it's something like a fart, like where you're like jogging for five minutes and then walking for five minutes and kind of just oscillating, uh, you know, at least half that time you're going to get spent running, you know, or jogging. And that's going to be better too, you know, because that's going to probably put you in inside of that endurance zone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we're talking about what sort of activities and levels of exertion count towards Zone 2 training, as well as touching on a question regarding constant glucose monitors. If you haven't yet tried one of their endurance strength mix or endurance gel formulas, head over to flowformulas.com today to pick up some of this magical potion and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so we got this first question. Uh, This one comes in from Sam. Sam says, this might be a little too basic or too specific to me to answer on the show, but I'm really curious after this week's episode. So this came in a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sam says, I'm still fairly new to interval training, and I was a little confused when you talked about having intensity days. It sounds like you're considering anything beyond zone two riding uh, in the seven zone mod. Is this accurate? I guess I always thought HIT, H-I-I-T, or high intensity interval training meant harder stuff like VO2 max or maybe threshold intervals at a minimum. Also, the talk of triathlon training and having the different sports fulfill different parts of your plan got me wondering, is there any reason you couldn't apply the same theory to any other activities we might be doing besides cycling? Using myself as an example, I'm really time limited with a one-year-old at home, so I only get a few hours a week to ride my bike or on the trainer. But I also regularly put the baby in the stroller and go for hour-long walks most days or maybe put him in the backpack and go for a hike. Would it be, uh, could you consider those walks or hikes to be low-intensity or endurance days? Uh, Thanks, Sam. So I thought this question was was pretty relevant because a lot of people right now are either in an off-season or transitioning back into the base season. Um, You know, so it gets a little more gray as far as those intensity days, because you're probably not doing VO2 max training or super high intensity interval training this time of year. So Drew, I mean, when, when you're thinking about, you know, or building out someone's plan and you're thinking about intensity days, what do you consider to be intensity? Yeah, I was going to start with this first question of, of does everything above zone two count as intensity? Um, when he says zone two to define that, I would call that your endurance zone. So I define everything as tempo and higher as intensity. So if I'm going out and I'm going to do a tempo workout, then I would put that as an intensity day on my training calendar. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to shoot for two intensity days a week. Uh, So, yeah. So like in the, in the base season, you know, when you're probably doing more tempo, you're not increasing the number of intensity days just because it's lower intensity uh, you know, those tempo intervals, right? I mean, you're still sticking to the, you know, two days a week roughly for intensity. Yeah. And like in the grand scheme of things, how you measure your intensity each week is different. I just do by day. So two days a week, that's just kind of the easiest way, simplest way to do it. But if you were to look at how much time and zone I spend when I'm doing tempo intervals versus like 
VO2 intervals, it's going to be way more time in zone. I would count both of those workouts as one intensity day, but a tempo workout, I mean, this year, I think I did a couple workouts where I got pretty close to like three hours of time and zone where I was in my tempo zone for three hours of the whatever four hour ride. And I would call that an intensity day. But like a couple weeks ago, I'm doing VO2. And like, usually, I think the typical maximum amount of VO2 that somebody can do is about 30 minutes. And even like half of my workouts, I don't even get to 30 minutes. Like I'll just go to 24 or something like that. Um, sure. So I, yeah, so, so the, so the time and zone is going to change, but, uh, both of those days I would count as intensity days. I think that's just different training goals. Um, and the reason that I would, yep. you know, to kind of go back to the, his fundamental or his, his first question of like, why would, why would I consider zone three? Um, I'm going to try to put on my, my Dylan hat since he's disappeared for right now. Uh, as soon as you go over zone two and start riding in that zone three tempo zone, even at the low end of it, uh, you're going to start accumulating autonomic nervous system stress, stress. Um, and that type of stress becomes a lot harder to recover from versus your endurance zone training. Like you could do a lot of riding in your endurance zone and you will accumulate fatigue. Like don't get me wrong, like a six-hour ride of an in, in endurance zone, you're going to be tired that day and probably the next day. But but it's a different kind of fatigue when you start doing everything above that, like when you start getting into tempo and higher. And it's because right. of that nervous system stress. Yeah, and it takes time for your body to, you know, to recover from that too because it, it ends up building up, you know, cumulative chronic stress. You know, so if you're you know, you might be able to recover and do another workout the next day that's high intensity. Um, and, you know, you'll see that well, like the stage race effect or block periodization uh, where you can do multiple days of intensity in a row. But eventually that that chronic buildup of the, the stress on your autonomic nervous system gets to a point where your body just can't rebound from it. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be careful with how frequently you're doing those intensity days. Um, you know, and, and I think you know, something to keep in mind too, you know, Drew, you're talking about structured intensity days, right? Where you're going out with the, with the mindset of, Hey, I'm going to do, you know, X number of tempo intervals today. We also have to keep in mind unstructured intensity days too, because those do count towards, you know, your allotted intensity days each week. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just, you know, byproduct of going out and riding with your, with your friends on a group ride or something like that, if you end up, you know, hitting a ton of hill repeats or, you know, if you're doing a hilly ride and you're smashing up all of those, you know, the, the short rollers that, that, that counts towards your intensity day too. Mm -hmm. So you have to keep, keep those in mind as well. There's the structured intensity days and there's the unstructured intensity days, both of which contribute towards your allotment of intensity. Yeah. I'll do this sometimes with athletes who are, who will go out for their endurance ride and then they end up just doing kind of hard, like they end up just doing little hard efforts all over the place during that ride in training peaks. I'll scroll. If you go to like the graphs page and scroll down, there's a chart that shows time and zone. Um, and so it'll like break out. It'll do it for your heart rate and for your power, but it'll show you how much time you spent in your endurance zone. And on endurance rides, that should be like, you should look at that graph and it might be like little slivers in all of the tempo threshold. And honestly, like nothing above threshold, it should be empty from there. But basically, it should just be a huge block of endurance, and maybe some of that's recovery from when you're not pedaling. Um, 
and like the rest of the blocks should be basically empty. And that that's how you know yep. you did a good endurance <clears throat> endurance ride. But like some guys, right. I think they just fall into that trap of like going hard on the hills, and then they don't realize how how much that adds up to the end of the ride, and they end up spending thirty minutes in their tempo or threshold zone, and they were supposed to do an endurance ride, and like they just don't realize how that accumulates. Right. Yeah, and you know, for for a lot of people, I'm sure you know we can relate to this to some extent. Going out for an endurance ride often doesn't you don't you don't finish feeling like you accomplished a whole lot sometimes because you never push yourself super hard. You're not finding your limits. You might not even be sweating that much if if the te- you know the the weather's mild. Um, so you know, so sometimes it feels like those endurance rides are counterproductive. It's like you know, why did I even do that? I didn't even work hard today, but what you have to keep in mind or the mindset you have to think of is those endurance rides are, are intended to add, you know, coins to your aerobic conditioning piggy bank. So when you go out for that ride, your goal should be like, I'm going to drop as many coins as possible into this piggy bank because I'm trying to accumulate as much, you know, money in that zone as possible. And, and that's a, that like when you have that intentionality around your endurance rides, it helps you refrain from the sporadic nature of like, you know, pushing it up hills or, you know, sprinting for town line signs or, you know, you know, accelerating out of stop signs, like things like that. Like if, you, if you're just if you set out with the goal of like, I'm going to accumulate as much time as possible, like maybe I only have two hours. I need to try and get two hours of time spent in endurance. That mm-hmm. that intentionality helps to bring more purpose to those rides and should help you refrain from doing, you know, some of those harder efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were to pick up the um if you were wanted to do like a deeper dive on this topic, I would I would recommend um eighty twenty running by Matt Fitzgerald. You read that book and like you get to the end of like the first three chapters. I think those are the three mm-hmm. chapters where he like really goes into the science on it. Uh you get the to the end of those three chapters. And you're like totally convinced that like, I just need more, I just need more volume at low intensity. Um, yep. Like so many times in, in that book, he gives you examples of like, basically the, the people who finish the highest on the results le- on the results list are probably the people who have the highest volume. And most of that volume is going to be low intensity, like endurance training. Yep. There's also this guy so, on YouTube who's got pretty good videos about it. I don't know if you heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> wow he's sending some viewers my way all right i did just do a video on this topic a couple months ago too much too much volume question mark yeah that's a bummer <laughs> so let's uh let's touch on sam's second part of the question so you know he's talking about how he doesn't have a ton of time to train you know dedicated training on the bike whether that's inside or outside uh but he does have more time available where he can be doing other activities what do you guys think about this, you know, as far as, you know, does that contribute? Should you count that towards your, you know, let's call it aerobic conditioning? Or would you just consider that to be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, tangential? Yeah, I do want to do a video on this topic, too, because I think you could go too far with the whole like low intensity thing. And just and this there's a there's a point at which the low intensity becomes so low that it's unproductive. So there's like sure. a there's definitely a range. You can't just say. Oh, I'm just going to ride super easy. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a productive range of endurance training. And personally, what I've adopted and accepted as that range would be, I base mine off a heart rate, off of max heart rate. And I would say 60 to 75% of your max heart rate. 
So to give you an example, my max heart rate is about 200, which makes the math real simple. 75 of my max is 150. And you guys hear me say this all the time. For my endurance rides, I usually give myself a heart rate ceiling of 150 because it's easy for me to ride in the 130s and 140s. So I don't usually have to like even think about falling out of that productive range on the low end. Too low, yeah. But but if I were to give myself a low end, it would be 60%, which would be 120 beats per minute. So you're talking 120 to 150 would be my optimal productive endurance zone. And you could use, you could probably use those rough numbers uh, for basically anybody, I would say. I I feel comfortable saying that. Um, I, you know, I kind of say this too, like, the more you stay in the middle of that, the more like room for error you have. Like if you're just riding right at 150 or right at 120, you're, you're going to get to like the ends of that. But if you stay in the middle, you're kind of in the safe zone. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Sam talks about, uh, putting his one year old in a stroller and going for hour long walks. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it depends on your level of fitness, of course, but I would think that walking pace, even unless maybe you're pushing it up hills, mm-hmm. but I would think just your standard stroller walk around the neighborhood for an hour probably is going to fall on, into that little bit too low end category. But I don't think it's like all for, for nothing. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're only training a couple hours a week, like just staying active in general is going to help to, you know, with, with some other things too, like just overall physical health. Yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't say that that's not worthwhile, but I would question like, you know, could you, do you have access to a toe behind a buggy, you know, that you could put the, put your baby in and go for like an hour long ride in that case. Maybe not, maybe you don't have access to that, but that could be a consideration. You know, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that like, you know, if you, just because you're towing something or you're, you know, it's kind of like an unconventional riding situation doesn't mean that it can't be productive. I don't know if this guy is a runner, but some people do run with their strollers as well. Yeah, and that's what I was going to mention too is, yeah, if you're picking up the pace a little bit, even if it's something like a fart like where you're like jogging for five minutes and then walking for five minutes and kind of just oscillating, uh, you know, at least half that time you're going to get spent running, you know, or jogging. And that's going to be better too, you know, because that's going to probably put you in inside of that endurance zone. Um, you know, so that, that is an option too. You don't want to obviously get injured doing that, but that's, that's why the, you know, the fart liquor oscillating pace can sometimes be helpful because you're not trying to run for an entire hour. Um, hey, the yeah, that's best an option thing too. that I've purchased to combine like being a dad and riding bikes is this thing called a Mac rides. Do you have one, Adam? Yeah, I've got one. Yep. Yeah. Wicked awesome. It's a, yeah, it's a thing that you, you end up putting this spacer under your headset or on your headset. And then, so that it wraps around that and bolts in. So it's secure. And then it wraps around your seat post and it, so it's like a pole, but then there's a little saddle for the, for the kid to ride on and their feet are like strapped in like hardcore, like their feet can't come out of this thing. And that's how they're secure to it. But they ride you would probably put it on a mountain bike, but um, that's like the be- probably the best setup because of the wider handlebars. Um, but they're basically riding in between your arms uh, and in between your legs on the top tube of your bike, and they're and they're holding on to your handlebars. And I had Andy on that thing when she was one year old, and you kind of like you know just like us in our own training, you kind of have to build up their tolerance for it. You know, like we were taking her out. 
time when she was one, but I mean, we could go out for an hour probably right now and she would, she would love it. And we've taken her out on trails once or twice. So, you know, she kind of like has built a tolerance to be able to sit on that thing and ride it. And she actually loves it. So I will oftentimes like on my one hour easy spin, I'll just jump on that thing with some regular shoes and clothes and ride around for an hour. And it's not, it's not exactly endurance, but I count that as my recovery ride for the, for the day. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. And you could, you could ride endurance with it, especially if, you know, if you're time crunched like this, where 30 minutes here and there goes a long way, you know, for you, like doing a 30 minute endurance ride probably isn't super productive, but for Mm -hmm. someone who's only training two or three hours a week, getting that extra 30 minutes in is, uh, you know, that that's huge. So, and uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's like two birds with one stone, dude, like quality time with your daughter and endurance training, like, (laughs) come on, like it doesn't get any better than that. Honestly, it's, it's awesome. Like it's a little pricey and that was like my hesitation to getting it. But now that I've got it, I'm like, Oh, this thing's awesome. And she loves it. I, it's definitely cheaper than this, the, uh, the buggies for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good point. It is very, a lot cheaper than that. And way more. The Burleys I think are like 500 bucks Yeah, and the Mac ride is maybe 250. Yeah. I think it's 250. Yeah. Yeah. And you can easily take it on and off too. You know, it takes like a minute to put it on. I should totally get Mac rides to sponsor me. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Or maybe they should sponsor Andy. Even sweeter. Started me <laughs> out. Uh, you know, but Sam also mentions things like hiking too. I mean, I think I think that's a great modality. You know, if you're hiking with with a backpack on, you're probably going to get your heart rate up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. I know last winter I was doing quite a bit of like snowshoeing and some hiking with a heavier pack on. And just having the pack on, my heart rate would go from like a you know normal snowshoeing pace, say in like the one tens to like the one twenty mid one twenties. So like that's all it took to get my heart rate up enough to to fall within the endurance zone. So I think I think that's an option too. You know when you can take advantage of of that hiking. Yeah, or I, just go for instead of doing the stroller around the neighborhood, just hike, just walk with the backpack. Yeah, I don't I don't like to be the the coach <laughs> or the the like the grouchy old coach that says, Oh, you walking your dog doesn't count. Um, but I am that coach. I, I don't, I don't think like walking Mm -hmm. around the block with your dog should be on your training peaks. Um, and if it is, you can put it in there, but I'm going to, and I do this for my athletes. I have a, I have a, I have a girl I've coached for a long time who walks her dog like every morning and sometimes she'll track it and I'll just go in there and zero out the TSS because, yeah, it's like it's just kind of skewing everything because it's not like I said, it's it's like unproductive. So it's it's just kind of adding stuff in there that doesn't help me, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the same for my athletes that wear a you know whoop strap or heart rate monitor in the gym because I'm like getting 60 TSS in the gym is just doesn't equate. You yeah. know, so like usually I'll kind of erase you know, that. I, I think I saw an article recently of. Uh, they were trying to give a, T- a TSS value to gym sessions. And I forget what TSS value they gave, but it was something like if you lift, you know, for every thousand pounds you lift, uh, it's this much TSS. So that would be like if you're doing, if you did one squat rep of 100 pounds, that's 100 and thousand. So, and then every thousand is this much, T- every thousand pounds is this much TSS. I think that the big problem with that is that there is a huge discrepancy between the quote TSS 
from a gym session from a newbie lifter versus an experienced lifter. A newbie lifter yep. could go to the gym and lift a thousand, you know, lift lift a thousand pounds cumulative cumulatively and not be able to walk for a week. Versus an experienced lifter could go lift a thousand pounds and it's like they did nothing at all. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this before on some of our ignition calls. You know, how do you account for the training load that you're accumulating in the gym when you're building out a training plan? And you know, if training stress score wasn't used to then correlate to someone's fitness level, then it, it, it'd be a different story. But what you're trying to do with TSS is approximate how much fitness or, you know, the, the fitness profile of an athlete. So that's where it gets tricky because, yes, you're building up training stress in the gym, but it doesn't directly translate to how fit you are aerobically on the bike. And I know that, that may, they may be trying to do that with with those calculations but um yeah i agree i I don't i I think it gets a little muddy there and i would i would honestly rather just like wipe it out and and account for the fact that they're going to be somewhat fatigued from it but it's not contributing or you know hopefully definitely not detrimenting their overall fitness yeah whoa hey hello caitlin were you you not expecting me we were expecting you 33 minutes ago (laughs) Shut the front door. Yep. Oh, she's so bummed. No I can I can I can feel the the bumness. Oh. Yeah. Wait, do we no. For, do we have time for one more question so Caitlin can get her matchbox no. fix? We've only been recording for 22 minutes. Cuz Oh, shoot. And you're recording right now? Ah, that's yes. all right. I could have sworn uh, it said like 9:30 mountain time. <clears throat> So I thought that was eleven um, thirty Eastern. Didn't? Are you sure? Time zones. Am I wrong? It's eleven Eastern. <sighs> we can do another question, right? Yeah. Yeah, we can one. do another one real quick. Yeah, Caitlin wants another question. Uh, actually, Caitlin, we've been holding this question off for a while because none of us have experience with CGMs, but you do, don't you? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Well, let's. I mean, that's more than us. So let's. <laughs> Let's get to this one because it's been it's been in the queue for like a few months. Okay, so this one comes from Michael, and Michael says, "I've been using a CGM lately and noticed my big my B, no not big my BG my blood glucose goes up pretty high when I'm when I'm using everyone's favorite drink Flow Formulas. These levels are sustained even during five hour hard rides. I thought I'd try a water plus BCA a only." And my blood glucose stayed around 90 to 110, uh, what is that, milligrams per, I'm not sure what DL is. Deciliter. Not deciliters, is it? Okay. Uh, Any ideas what may be going on? I'm guessing my body is letting the glucose remain in high concentration in my blood to aid in absorption at the muscles. I don't have any medical conditions or uh, postprandial glucose levels uh, that return to 90 to 100 milligrams per deciliters uh recently click i was wondering if you have if any of you have used a cgm and experienced anything similar or different or if you have any studies slash information on this uh then they send a mike sends a five hour 100 mile gravel race okay so a hard hard five hour ride uh in warm temperatures starting at 8 a.m fueled by approximately 100 ounces with 10 scoops of flow and two cliff bars i'm entering into the time of the season for more intensity cross interval training. So I'll follow up if the data reveals more insight. So Michael, we apologize that we're just getting to this now, but we wanted to wait for an appropriate time to answer this. 
Uh, so yeah, Caitlin, does that, any of that resonate with, with your experience? That was a lot. I might need a refresh on the question. So he switched (laughs) his question. He switched. I think what confused me was the switching to a pure water slash BCAA. So that's branch chain amino acids. What was, what was the hope with that? So blood glucose with flow formulas was 140 to 150. Mm-hmm. Uh, milligrams for deciliters, and then when switching to the water plus BECAAs, uh, blood glu- glucose was around ninety to one hundred and ten, so dropped thirty to forty points. Mm-hmm. I mean that makes sense. So regardless of taking in any glucose, you're going to see your blood glu- glucose rise when you start to work out, and that's just your body starting to move glucose so that you can. use it for fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, But it makes sense that if you're taking in glucose, you're going to have a higher level. And when you don't, it's going to drop, but you're still going to have elevated blood glucose. So why would you, I'm wondering why is this guy not one? Why wouldn't he want to just do the flow and have it higher? Mm -hmm. Isn't that good? Yeah. So why is he even messing around with these BCAAs? Like what's the point of that? I'm not sure what was, so yeah, refresh on the follow-up I'm gonna be question totally honest. there. I don't know why anybody takes BCAAs. So BCAAs are protein. <laughs> yeah, I know it's protein. So I don't, like, I don't, why I don't would really, you do it? I don't really know There's, why he's doing yeah, water other than, and protein other while than, he's riding. Yeah, other than recovery after it, I don't know why you do it during. That's I guess that's I should I think, clarify. So the gel brand Goo, uh, they have the Roctane gels, and they threw in amino acids. Does it work? Does it do anything for you actually during activity? I don't know. I don't really. I don't. I don't think, think that it there's does. I don't feel like it's to a, prove that it does. I feel like it's just a buzzword. I don't, I don't think it does. And also, if you look at the amount of BCAAs in goo, it's embarrassingly low. Like it's almost nothing. So <laughs> it's really just marketing. So I take them a supplement. I'm not doing it every single day, but days after strength and days after hard workouts, I'll take it before bed because sleep is when your body's restoring and having those amino acids available. Mm-hmm. I think it helps. Yeah. Um, there's scientific proof that women need to have enough of the amino acid leucine passing the blood brain barrier to actually stimulate muscle regeneration. So that's why I do it. But yeah. actually during activity, I don't. I don't so think it does. going right. back to this guy's question, is he worried that his blood glucose is too high? Because like blood glucose being too high is a problem for some people, but is is that a concern for him? Should it be uh, a concern th- during think... activity when you're yeah. utilizing it? Yeah, I mean, he mentions he does not have any medical conditions, or he says postprandial glucose levels. And is uh, he, returning and back to 90 is, or 110. Is he seeing his blood glucose spike and then drop dramatically? Because that could also be a problem. Because if he's not, then I, I'm. What I, I guess what I'm saying right now is I don't really see a problem. Yeah, if you're. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Like looking at his data that he sent here. So it starts at 8 a.m. So I mean, it, it drops. He said five hours. So it's it's dropping back down to normal levels pretty quickly. Like within an, within half an hour of him finishing his ride. Okay. Uh, it doesn't say what device he's using. We should just get a follow up and ask. We should ask him why do you not why are, why not just take like keep drinking flow and have your heart rate or uh, glucose. Well, it high. sounds like maybe he was just doing some experimentation. 
to you know to see was it truly just the flow that was contributing to the ele- you know those higher elevated uh, okay. uh, glucose levels or was it the activity itself and i think you know kind of going back to what Kayla was talking about like your glucose levels are going to increase slightly during activity but what he was confirming here was that they were elevating substantially beyond that when he was when he was consuming the flow yeah. And if they're staying pretty consistent during the five hours, like you said, I mean, everybody's uh, going to see some, nobody's going to see this blanket result. Um, blood glucose is individual to the person as well. And it sounds like he's pretty good at mobilizing that glucose for, for usage. So, I mean, yeah, sounds good. And keep fueling your rides with flow. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I, I can see on his chart here where I'm guessing at 6am he started eating breakfast because his levels are pretty low until that point, and then they start rising all the way into his ride. So I'm guessing it's, you know, he's probably eaten something high-carb meal in the two hours before. And that's really what the CGM is good for, to look at timing of meals and how your body reacts to what you would normally eat for breakfast pre-event, and then how your body reacts to the gels and how to properly fuel for that. So it is good, um, but... Yeah, I feel like the the CGM, I mean, my experience, I used, I split a pack of the actual monitors with, with Blaine and, you know, you learn, I'm you learn from a couple weeks of it and then it's just, I don't, I don't think it's something wow. you need to consistently do what, unless what you is, do have a medical his, condition. What is his blood glucose talking about? How high is his blood glucose? Uh, it's in the 140 to 150 Fine milligrams per deciliter range during activity. Yeah, That's... don't worry about it, bro. You're fine. You're good. That's a good thing. Uh, don't don't worry about like it. Looks like at some point, at some point, at one point, it, it spiked up maybe into the 170 range, but even that doesn't seem excessively high to be concerning. Yeah, keep buy- no. Keep, keep no. buying and using the flow, man. <laughs> Look, dude. Yeah, you don't you don't have any medical conditions to be concerned about. Like I, if yeah. That this is this is not this is not a not a problem in my opinion. You I, you should probably consult people that have uh, you know, maybe medical. more experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, exactly, exactly. But he also like, uh, like if there's no issues, like if it ain't fixed, don't broke it or wait. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it ain't broke, if it ain't don't fixed, fix don't break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I'm glad Kate came on for that. Yeah, that thanks. was helpful. Sorry, Sorry you late. missed the first uh, half hour, but I'll catch you on the next one for Sorry. sure. Sounds good. All right, thanks everyone. Peace. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Ready to start working with a coach that'll make you faster? It's easy. Just go to the Ignition Coach Co. website and fill out our athlete form and we'll connect you to the best suited coach for the job. You'll jump on a free consultation, determine if it's a good fit, and determine a start date. If you don't feel the vibes with that coach, well then no sweat. We'll connect you to another coach that might be better. 
And then it's off to the races, or at least off to the training for the races. Don't wait any longer. Sign up today.